0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to a special West Coast edition of Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job's not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Let them eat bonds. That's pretty much how Wall Street reacted to the debt ceiling talks today. It seems buyers who were everywhere except in the defense of stocks that historically thrive in recessions have simply decided that bonds don't matter. It's like they don't care about the debt ceiling negotiations at all. And they're not the least bit daunted or even worried about a possible government default. We finally pulled back into the close when bond prices fell and rates moved noticeably higher, Dow ultimately closing off 140 points, the S&P inching up 0.02%, and the Nasdaq advancing 0.5%, where all of those growth stocks are. The market's overall resilience astounded most of the people I talked to. So is today's action right? Is it possible the whole debt ceiling standoff is meaningless? That's certainly what the market seems to be saying. Look at what went up, the stocks of companies that don't have much money, the ones that reported terrible quarters, the Kathy Wood kind of stories about no profits, just future growth in so-called out years. The buyers of the stocks of these companies seem indifferent to what's happening now, including those nasty debt ceiling talks. Here I'm talking Atlassian or Twilio, HubSpot, anything cybersecurity. These are companies that help other businesses do their job better. I can't believe their clients won't be hurt by a government default, but the market sure seems to think that they'll be fine. No, they'll be better than fine. Then there's a second group of stocks that rallied hard today, the companies that have been hurt by the threat of artificial intelligence. We're seeing so many tech plays that have been threatened. Witness a stock like that of Five9, which is a cloud-based call center software story. That can be replaced. That's right in the crosshairs of generative AI. Now the stock's soaring. It's the revenge of human intelligence, at least today. Long-term, I'm betting on machines, though. Meanwhile, what got hurt? Well, this is really interesting. It's the classic growth stocks that got hurt, the ones that used to rally on fears of a government default. Think PepsiCo, General Mills, McDonald's, Procter & Gamble. These have had gigantic runs for months on fears of a Fed-mandated recession. But now they're being annihilated, and so the market's going to take the debt ceiling debacle in stride, and it won't slow down the economy even if talks break down. Now, you don't see the stock of PepsiCo down five bucks unless Wall Street thinks the economy is about to roar. Same with one store at Hershey, which the sellers finally got to. Of course, there is another way to look at this. Today, a brokerage firm suggested that year-over-year comparisons for all these consumer packaged goods companies could be not so high. Now, I disagree with this. Their costs are finally coming down hard, but they haven't had to cut prices at all. They're in the sweet spot, even if we crash through the dead ceiling deadline. They'll bottom maybe in a day or two. Ultimately, we need to ask ourselves, what works if everything goes wrong with these negotiations? Will it simply be another reason to buy growth stocks with little in the way of earnings? All right, let's think about this. What industries would really be impacted by the government defaulting on its debt payments? First, anything real estate should get killed because long-term interest rates should soar, making it insanely expensive to get a mortgage. The home builders did take it on the chin today. That made sense. Second, the pain should extend to the banks. Banks will take their cue from treasuries. They won't even know what to do if the government can't cover these coupon payments. So the banks all go down. Again, we had a mixed picture, though, because the troubled west raised a bunch of money to save itself. But that's about the mini-bank crisis, not the debt ceiling debacle. A lot of crises going on. Third, the utilities that need to borrow money. Now, one look at the stock of Dominion, 52-week low, will tell you what could be occurring. Do you want beginning to worry if that 5% yield is safe? Finally, any company that needs credit to sell goods like heavy machinery, aircraft parts, autos, they should be, uh, well, they could be uh, momentarily hurt. Maybe that's why Ford stock did nothing. Even after CEO Jim Farley committed to a sharply higher cash flow number than Wall Street was looking for. I think the market's underestimating Ford's free cash flow generation. You see a stock of Tesla though? That's not quitting. Oh, I just gave you a pretty eclectic group of stocks that the market's saying avoid. But if the government really defaults on its obligations, then any company that needs credit instantly could be a possible pain point. I I get that. But if you don't need the bond market, if you don't need credit, today the market said look out above. Why? Let's think about why the growth companies with no earnings could do so well today, with even many of the mega cap techs also doing well, although they pulled back into the close. There are a few potential explanations here. First, while the real economy could get hurt by a debt silly implosion, the new, new economy probably doesn't get hurt. These tech companies don't care if the government isn't functioning or people don't get their Social Security checks. They have zero exposure to that. They aren't retailers who would be hurt by a lack of consumer spending power. They aren't hospitals that might not get paid if Medicare runs out of money. All those are possibilities. Instead, these are companies that in many cases... Already screwed up, at least when it came to reports. I saw a lot of short covering here today. Upstart's moving higher despite real credit issues. There's a short covering in in PayPal going on for certain. Maybe if you screwed up and came back, a sovereign debt fiasco can't hurt you. Quizzical. By contrast, the big cap tech companies that are doing well actually sold off when interest rates started rising today. It's the most speculative stuff that worked. There's another view, though, and this is a very cynical one that I'm going to put out there. This one has little to do with the nitty gritty of the government. This view says, who the heck cares? It's all theater. The Standard & Poor's downgraded our nation's debt once before in 2011, and it turned out to be colossal buying opportunity. J.P. Morgan brought this fabulous piece today uh, just last week about all the negatives that could occur if our government runs out of money. Get a technical defa- default that's seen as lowering treasury yields but actually steepens the yield curve. This is pure conjecture, mind you. The treasury auctions could be postponed. Maybe treasuries can't be rolled over. Maybe the treasuries that miss payments could be repaid. Maybe they can't be. There'll be some sort of compensation. Money funds will have to do what they can without uh, redemptions, but it won't be drastic. I mean, that's all the stuff just swimming. There's so many permutations of securities that interact with U.S. Treasuries that all the pricing mechanisms and all the institutions that need these coupons are going to find themselves a real jam. But it should be a jam that can be sorted out. Maybe that's what the market's saying. No, you're not going to see a real country run out of money. But America is known throughout the world now as a dysfunctional nation, purely because of our venomous political environment. We don't want the dollar to lose its reserve currency status. But a five-day, even a 10-day hiatus, well, the market's saying it probably won't impact things. Just everything else except for stocks. If you go through the J.P. Morgan analysis page by page, you do find yourself thinking, what does any of this have to do with the price-to-earnings ratio of Bristol-Myers? My time-honored phrase that says, avoid looking at anything but the earnings of companies. The bottom line, the simple truth is that in the absence of actual numbers being cut, maybe nobody cares, at least for the moment. The giddiness, though, seems totally out of place with what could await the overall market, both stock and bond, if we don't solve these problems before the government really does run out of money. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Ken in Nevada. Ken. Hi, Jim. I'm a
1: longtime Ken. listener and a uh, first-time caller, and I um, have a question about Cummings. Bought it a few weeks ago. Looked like uh, the last two quarters have been uh, doing very well, but uh, the stock's been dropping.
0: What well, it know? almost yields three uh, percent. Ken, I got to tell you, it's a great American industrial. The problem is the industrials are selling off right now because rates are going higher. I have faith that Cummins is going to make a comeback, but it may be a little bit wild because I think a lot of people feel the economy is going to slow down because of the debt crisis. It's hurting the industrials more than any other group of stocks. Let's go to Scott in South Carolina. Scott. Booyah, Jim. How Booyah. you doing? I'm doing well. How about you?
1: Good, thank you. Hey, last week you mentioned five defense stocks, and all of them have had a pretty decent run in the last couple years, but there's one I've been looking out for, and it's been on a steady decline for the last year. I'd like to get your take on why that is and if I should be buying in now or waiting for
0: something else. The name is L3 Harris. This is an amazing decline in the stock because it's exactly a kind of high tech, so to speak, uh, that that the government wants all the military to adopt. But this is a company that is viewed as being right in the crosshairs of a possible sequester of the defense stocks. And that's why I think it's having trouble finding its footing at 15 times earnings. I think you'll do fine, though. It is too cheap. Let's go to Anne in Indiana. Anne.
1: Hi Jim, as a club member. Thank you. Thank you for everything and thanks for and thank taking the call.
0: Member. Thank you.
1: So I'm just, you know, having some self doubt here, wondering if I should be in Cotera with exposure to natural gas and oil, a CEO who's staying. Yada yada. Instead of pioneer, a core
0: holding. Or
2: no, no I don't good. want you to say.
0: Qatar's terrific, and I mean, look at how the stock acted today with natural gas down. It's got a great mixture. They make a. They their natural gas cost is one dollar, so they're still crushing even right here. I think Qatar's terrific. At one point today, the stock was at twenty six and change. Please stay long that stock, and thank you for being a member of the club. Let's go to Bob in Florida. Bob.
2: Hey, Mr. Kramer. Thanks for uh, taking some time to talk with me. How
0: you doing? I'm doing well. How about you, Bob? I'm fantastic. Uh, I'm a club
1: member. And we missed you this morning, but glad to talk to you right now. But uh, hey, I had, a, I had a quick question on uh, Marriott with the travel industry being so bullish and margins increasing. You think it's a buy here?
0: Uh, this stock, down $4, I like very much. Thank you for being a member of the club. I'll tell you what, Marriott is the last bastion of the club. It's still doing well because travel is doing well. I also like the the cruise ships, but this one is a good one. I would stay long, Marriott. All right. The simple truth is that in the absence of actual numbers being cut, maybe this market is saying that nobody cares about the debt ceiling after all, at least for today. Oh, man, tonight, you know my stance on Apple. I own it, don't trade it. But what should you do with an Apple supplier like Skyworks Solutions? I'm checking in with the CEO. Then I'm always on the hunt for the next big bull market. So what sector could be setting itself up for a major run? I'll reveal it, and you'll like it. And SEP reported a quarter that shot the lights out. So amid a host of questionable market headwinds, could a utility like this be a way to get defensive and get growth? I'm talking to the company's top brass. So stay with
2: Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnBC.com.
0: The semi-electric stocks have caught fire this year. Wall Street's anticipating a major turn in the industry. Yeah, not all semis are necessarily equated equal. Take Skyworks Solutions as the maker of communications chips. There's huge exposure to smartphones, but also the Internet of Things. When Skyworks reported a couple of weeks ago, the actual quarter was solid. Guidance came in a little light, largely because of weakness in Android-based smartphones. After this pullback, though, the stock now sells for an amazingly cheap 12 times this year's earnings estimates. even sports a 2.4% yield, although it is up 12% for the year. So could this be a buying opportunity, or do we need to be more worried about the Android business? Let's check in with Liam Griffin. He's the chairman and CEO of Skywork Solutions out in LA, I love this. To get a better read the situation, Mr. Griffin, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Oh, great to see you, Jim, on the West Coast. And finally, we get isn't seated together in LA.
0: Isn't it something, yeah. I love it. great so, stuff. I need your help. I, I've always gone to you when I've tried to understand how the industry's doing. It seems like there's a bit of a lull. I mean, we know that Android's having some problems. You have another customer, it's very hard for you to talk about, but I get the sense that near term, there are some concerns, maybe even related to China, but longer term, This is just the right time to be in Skyworks. Yeah, absolutely,
1: Jim. I agree. The markets have been bumpy. Right. Uh, We understand that. We have a very good view of where we see over the next few months and the next few years. And I will tell you that the opportunity for us is vibrant and compelling.
0: So if I look at, say, what's going on in China, going on in the United States around, it's entirely possible that we could have, say, a, a cyclical downturn. But not a deep one, because the demand is there, particularly among the people who don't have cell phones. Yeah, exactly.
1: So a couple things. We do believe that we're going to come out of this cycle and the stronger companies will actually outperform. We'll we'll be one of those and there'll be some others. I think the market is going to correct for that. And as you go forward, as you as you noted, the value and the utility of the smartphone continues to grow. And the opportunity and the performance and in all of the applications that we can bring forth are really going to be compelling. But are you
0: seeing a slowdown right now?
1: We are seeing a slowdown right now. Slowdown. But it has been baked in. It has okay. been baked in. It's been communicated with our guidance. Right. Uh, and we're completely heads up on that. Okay. Uh, but as you noted, the, the the more compelling opportunity, the more long-lived opportunity is connecting the unconnected. We've got 7 billion people out there
0: and 2 billion people with no connectivity at all. why are we focused on China? We have 1.4 billion, and they have great systems there, and not thinking about where India, which has a similar number of people but a much younger group that is demanding to be online, and we just need to build out the infrastructure, and you're a part of everything. Exactly. I think India is a great case study. There's another market
1: where you have great penetration in some spots, Mm -hmm. but the lion's share of opportunity in India is still there. And hasn't yet been connected. And I think the utility and the opportunity from healthcare, from education, entertainment, all of those but things.
0: You have on artificial intelligence. <laughs> yes. Let's look does at that. use a lot of your products. If I, if I want to be connected and have it so it's quick, yeah. well, what does Skyworks do for me that I need versus what anybody else does?
1: Yeah, great, great question. When you think about environments like AI and technologies like AI, they are a step function ahead very, very, very high level of compute and processing power. And so one of the things that's really important about mobile device is power consumption, energy consumption. AI is going to generate tremendous amount of processing power, and typically wired in. It's wired into a data center. Mobile, you're unconnected. So the precious milliamps that you're using and current that you consume is vital. That creates a tremendous opportunity for Skyworks. We know how to hit the fastballs, Jim. We know how to handle the tough problems. So bringing in AI, it's going to happen. It's going to change the game. It's great for us because we're the
0: company that knows how to make that work. Now, you have your own fabs. What I understand is that your cash flow generation is superior pretty much to everybody that I talk about all the time. Sure, everybody's got great stuff, but in terms of making money, you guys make the most per device.
1: Absolutely, and we've been very, very disciplined yep. on that. We're going to deliver $1.1 billion of free cash flow there. $1.1 billion. We're going to deliver $700 million to our shareholders in dividends and buybacks this year. So the cash generation engine is continuing to fuel and continuing to drive upside to our
0: shareholders. All right, what, what happened? I have to ask you, what did happen to Android? They're unstoppable. I mean, it's got to be just a brief lull for them. Yeah, it's a difficult market
1: there. There are some players, I mean, Samsung is doing better. And Google, by the way, is still a great opportunity. Okay. Very, very powerful opportunity. Uh, Some of the lower-end players in China, we still work with them. But the aperture is a little bit more narrowed lately. I think that'll turn. But again, we're going to go where the dollars are and where our customers need us. And we're in the markets that
0: right today are, are, are ready to roll. And that's why I want to know. Your stock's too cheap. You know that. I mean, I, there are times when I think it's expensive. It, this is not one of them. That's Liam Griffin. He's chairman, president, and CEO of SkyWorks Solutions, SWKS, which we have been behind, believe it or not, since it was the $5. Man, money's back yet.
2: Coming up, there's always a bull market somewhere. Gramer sees one at the offices of Dr. Device. We explain next.
0: There's one thing we've learned this earnings season. is we've got a genuine bull market in medical devices. For years, this industry was a terrific long-term place to find winners, okay? But then the pandemic hit, and all sorts of non-urgent surgeries were delayed, in some cases for years, until we got COVID under control. Now, finally, we're seeing an uptick in the medical device business, this last year, although it didn't do much to help their stocks because these tend to be growth names and growth was so out of style, the Wall Street fashion show. Now, the medical device business keeps recovering and a more growth friendly market means the stocks are finally getting their due. We've seen great quarter after great quarter among the whole cohort. The first clue to this new bull market came on April 12th when we heard from audience favorite InMode which makes minimally invasive radio frequency devices, mainly for cosmetic surgery. Talk about something that was delayed during COVID. Now, they pre-announced a terrific set of numbers not long after we recommended this talk in a homework segment. Then we had InMode CEO Moshe Mizrahi on, and I thought he told a great and encouraging story. InMode sells both hardware and consumables. The consumables are used per procedure, so their sales are the best indicator of demand. Mizrahi told us to watch that number, and sure enough, when InMode reported its full results are earlier this month, their consumables and service revenue was up an astounding 43% in the first quarter. That was fantastic. But because the company left its full year forecast unchanged, the stock actually got slammed in response. Quizzical. I think management's simply being conservative. In mode's a bargain right here. I would buy it rough, roughly 13 times earnings. It's good. Next, on April 18th, J&J reported a great quarter, especially for the medical technology division, up 11% on a constant currency basis. J&J called out their heart rhythm and neurovascular devices, contact lenses, wound closure products, and artificial knees as key sources of strength. The next day, we heard a similar story from Abbott Labs, which posted better-than-expected results thanks to its medical devices division. Of course, neither Abbott nor J&J is pure plays on medical devices. But j and is a lot closer to being one after that recent spinoff of its consumer business at Kenview. Now, regular viewers know that I'm a big J&J fan, even if it still hasn't gotten much credit for the strength of Kenview, despite still owning the vast bulk of the business. When it comes to J&J, it's all about talc right now, as in the lawsuit about their talc's possible link to ovarian cancer. That litigation risk is the real news. It's not earnings. Now, I can't ever recall a time when J&J has been this inexpensive, ever which is why we own it for the Chapel Trust. Although it's been a real bear, and I do think it's going to come out of this within the next six months. How about a medical device, PurePlay? That's intuitive surgical. The company behind those da Vinci robotic surgeons reported the same morning as J&J. Now that gave us a true beat and raised quarter. While intuitive sold roughly the same number of systems as the year before worldwide, Division procedures were up 26% year-over-year. Year. Now you throw in the strong guidance, and that's why the stock could rally 10% in response. That's what we want. Hey, by the way, that fabulous intuitive surgical wouldn't have come as a surprise to you if you were a regular reader, watcher of our show. We had CEO Gary Guthart at the beginning of March. He came on, told a very bullish story. Guess it, the stock's up 38% since he was on. Next up on May 1st, we got some results from Stryker. That's the medical device company best known for its orthopedic implants. They delivered a comfortable top and bottom line beat with better than expected organic growth, up really good 13.6%. When we spoke to CEO Kevin Lobo a week later, he said we're at the beginning of a medical device super cycle. Now, in all honesty, I don't like that term because it tends to set up impossible expectations. It's a jinx. But Lobo made a pretty compelling case for the medical device bull market. After years where people put off knee, hip, or shoulder replacement surgery because of COVID, they're now coming back in droves. At the same time, Stryker keeps coming out with better and better new products. No wonder the stock's up 17% for the year. Now, if you want to know which medical device story I'm most excited about at the moment, it's GE Healthcare which we bought for the charitable Trust just last Wednesday. Now, if you're not a club member, you're missing a tremendous story here. Ever since it was spun up by GE at the beginning of the year, GE Healthcare has been on fire. It is up 35% for the year. And I, I know this sounds nuts, but it's got a lot more room to run. The, this company's got a terrific diagnostic equipment division, including tons of scanners for the, that are essential for catching and monitoring Alzheimer's. As the FDA approves more Alzheimer's drugs, which is going to do, we'll need more of these machines just to know if the new medications are working or if you need the medications. Right now, GE Healthcare sells for roughly 18 times next year's earnings estimates. Far from expensive, and I think it could end up looking pretty cheap if management could deliver on their plans to boost margins, which I think they will. This thing's pulled back from 88 at its peak last month to 79 dollars today. But if you can get simply, if you can get that valuation, say, like at Abbott Labs or Boston Scientific. Call it $91. Hey, I you know what? There's another one I've been a fan of. It's been weak lately, but it's coming back, and that's Edwards Life Sciences. They make less invasive devices for structural heart disease, although less invasive is all relative because the alternative here is open-heart surgery, where they break through the chest bone. Edwards reported a solid quarter in late April with terrific guidance. While the stock's already up nearly 20% for the year, I bet it's got more room to run simply because it's, it's so far down. And finally, talk about so far down, Medtronic. Now, here's a medical technology powerhouse. I want them to come on the show. It's struggled for many years, but lately is showing signs of life, up 15% for the year. Late last month, Medtronic caught multiple upgrades and price target bumps when the FDA approved their new diabetes management device. Now, this is an industry where they've fallen woefully behind Kramer-Fade Dexcom, as well as Abbott Labs, which is a terrific product that's in Europe that's come here. And now Medtronic has a competitive product. And that's why I'll be watching Medtronic closely when it reports on Thursday. I want to see if the stock's recent momentum hurls good results before I fully buy into this turnaround story. That said, anything's a 17 times earnings quarter doesn't need to be perfect for this stock to keep running. Here is the bottom line. At this point, it's undeniable that we've got an emerging bull market in medical devices, regardless of the debt ceiling problem. We've heard the same incredibly positive story from company after company. I think you need some exposure to this industry, which is why we own GE Healthcare for the charitable trust. Although a number of the names I mentioned will work. I'm just praying we get another debt ceiling related sell off that drags down the entire market and gives you a chance to buy these companies, which are very immune. From what's going on in Washington at an undeserved discount. Let's take calls. Let's go to Chris in New Jersey. Chris. Booyah, Jim. How are you? I'm here with my daughter, Michaela. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Michaela. How Jim, can I thank help?
1: You for your, thank you for your advice on uh, Eli Lilly earlier this year. My question to you is, uh, should I look to take
0: some of the gains that I've had or should I keep the position with the potential with Munjaro and the new potential Alzheimer's uh, drugs with the new, with the clinically uh, promising uh, phase 3 trials. Well, I think that, you, that Michaela doesn't have to worry about it, but you and I are a little bit older. Here's what I have to say. I took some profits in Lily and the reason I did today was because we are up so much that I knew I had been a pig, and I just couldn't afford to be a pig any longer. That's what you have to think about. You can't be greedy, and I got greedy, but I like Lilly. If we get another debt ceiling related sell off that drags down the entire market, jump at the chance to buy the medical device place at an undeserved discount. The sector is undeniably in a bull market mode right now, and I think you need some exposure to it. I like that cheap healthcare. Now much more mad money, including my exclusive with Sempra. With natural gas prices falling 80% from last year's highs, where does LNG market stand right now? Remember, it's an infrastructure delivery company. I'm gonna dig in with the details of the CEO. Then we got two major acquisitions this morning that upon first glance, I was excited about, but there's something lurking that I think investors need to watch out for almost any deal in the M&A space. And of course, all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson. Love to watch your
3: show. I have to thank you for making
1: us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it.
0: Show. My five year old grandson loves to watch
3: your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it.
2: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE.
0: I'll see you tomorrow morning in California. We'll be face-to-face again. Quick break here. Don't go anywhere. We'll collude.
2: (laughs) It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. While we're out here in California for a couple of days,
0: we got a chance to check in with some of our favorite companies, like Sempra, the fabulous growth utility with a huge natural gas ticker that includes both pipelines and liquefied natural gas export terminal in Louisiana, more in the works. While Sempra has been putting up a series of solid results, stocks currently down 5% year to date, in large part because of natural gas prices. They're, they're not good. But you know what? That's a mistake. Companies set up so that current natural gas prices mean nothing to the bottom line. separate has got best-in-class utility assets focused on two great markets, California and Texas. Plus, regardless of seasonal swings in natural gas, I'm convinced the use of liquefied natural gas is unstoppable. Europeans did it just too badly. Doesn't hurt that Semper pays you to wait with a 3.2% yield. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Jeffrey Martin. He's the chairman and CEO of Semper. Learn more. Mr. Martin, welcome back to Med Money.
3: And good to see you, and welcome to California, Jim. Oh,
0: thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey. Now, there's something that I think people don't understand. There is such a thing as a growth utility, and that's you.
3: Well, I'll tell you, uh, we've had this conversation before, but several years ago, we took steps to improve our capital discipline right. and simplify our business model, which is always the right answer. Uh, and that's allowed us to return $5 billion to our shareholders over the last three years. And at the same time, we've been able to grow our EPS at a 10% clip. So we've got a brand new $40 billion capital program today. Uh, It's gonna call for us to grow our utilities at a 9% rate, and we continue to think and you put that together with a three and a quarter percent dividend yield, it's a very compelling growth and in income story. Now, if
0: you have a forty billion dollar five five-year project, you're going to have to borrow money. Just tell me, what's it like to borrow money in a crazy market where the Treasury doesn't know what it's doing in terms of what they can pay and what they can't?
3: Yeah, well, it always starts with making sure you're financing things as efficiently as possible for your owners. It starts with maximizing your operating cash flows, and then it, for big projects, We like to source debt and equity at the project level, but our goal long-term is to continue to grow the business, source capital efficiency, and make sure that we're returning a steady dividend to our owners.
0: A lot of people have these long ESG reports, and I read them and I know that they're just trying to make me feel like they're convinced that they're clean. You have this delivering energy with a purpose document. I read every inch of it. You got rid of coal. You've been decarbonizing for years. You're about climate risk built into the strategy. This is not the way most people think.
3: Well, I'll tell you, we made a decision about five years ago that we wanted to focus on infrastructure, not the commodity side of the business. And this has allowed us to create more recurring income and at the same time be a leader in ESG. And what we're trying to do is help America decarbonize our grid at home and through the use of LNG help make sure that in foreign countries, as they adopt renewables and clean energy, they can use complementary fuels like natural gas to help them decarbonize more
0: quickly. All right. Now, how come you, among the old executives I talked to, the only one that has a good relationship with Mexico? I'm not kidding. You're $10 billion worth of infrastructure, and it seems to be just doing great for you.
3: Yeah. Well, it all goes back to this idea that we've been investing down there for close to three decades, principally in energy infrastructure. It's a consumer market with 130, 130 million consumers and one of the fastest growing markets in the Western Hemisphere. I think in part our success has been our ability to partner with the government around their priorities. That country is short energy infrastructure and will continue to make investments as needed to support their success.
0: All right, so how does Jeffrey Martin deal with the fact that you've got Texas, which is a tough market and it is a carbon market and California, which is an anti-carbon market, under one roof. How do you do it?
3: Well, remember, we're not focused as much on the commodity. I think it's the fact that we're infrastructure focused. So in Texas, we've just launched a brand new $19 billion dollar program. And our investment there is a wires company only. So whether renewables are taking market share or natural gas is taking market share, we're going to continue to expand the grid to allow new sources of energy to come on board and make sure we're supporting a growing economy in Texas. Well, which that's is, why
0: this fixation on, on the price of natural gas in your companies is wrong, right? Absolutely. I think that's right. Okay. Now, I need you to talk to me about hydrogen because you're the only person seems to have embraced it seriously that I know.
3: Well, I think uh, there's a foot race today about people who can basically innovate and bring new technology to our sector. Hydrogen's got a big role to play. Europe is ahead of us currently. Yes, they are. The Japanese are ahead of us as well. I think it's very interesting. Uh, The Biden administration has put forward not only the infrastructure bill several years ago that dedicates $9 billion to hydrogen hubs. We're an applicant with the state of California to bring a hydrogen hub here to Los Angeles and the most recent IRA bill, which also subsidizes hydrogen. So what you're going to expect to see is hydrogen will become an important feedstock for industry and heavy duty transportation. We think it's going to be a very important fuel source for our country.
0: I don't want to diminish what you just talked about. Let's talk about something real. Memorial Day is right around the corner. You're a veteran. You're a West Point grad. How has it impacted your professional life and your leadership style?
3: I would start by saying Memorial Day really is our country's tribute to the men and women that made the ultimate sacrifice in in the U.S. Armed Forces. Uh, I look back on my time in the service, and I'm obviously very proud to have served. Uh, You have to remember uh, this is an all-volunteer force, Jim. And we got about 1.2 million men and women in uniform today. And I think I'm just grateful for their service. And I'm grateful to have had that opportunity. If there's one key takeaway I'd share with you is most people focus on the discipline, learning to have teamwork, taking responsibility. But for, to me, it was really all about this idea that you could serve something greater than yourself. So I was a much younger man at that time. But I feel really good about having the opportunity to work with people from diverse backgrounds, men and women, different faiths and different creeds. They all had one purpose. They loved their country, and they wanted to make sure that they took the time to serve.
0: Well, I want to take the time out to thank you. Oh, uh, you've nice been a saying. remarkable steward and a great leader. And by the way, not partisan, not this or that, not wanting a deal among one, and favoring one side or the other, but just favoring the country. Jeff thank Martin, you are my hero. Thank, thank, thank you, you very, very much, much. Jeff. I appreciate it. Jeff is the chairman and CEO of Sempra SRE, which we've been recommending like mad and are going to be right on. Mad Money back in the spring.
2: Coming up. What's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next.
0: Let's put this historical moment in perspective. When bears growl at the market... I know you're tired of it, now. I'm tired of it, but get used to this sound. Kramer roars right back. It's abundantly clear that right now it feels like no price is safe enough to buy. Stocks may be done, but mad
2: money is never out. We're stuck for the moment with the fear, and it's real fear. Stick with Kramer, and let's find your portfolio's next big winner together. Nothing seems to matter
0: except getting out ahead of the other guy. It is time. It's time for a special West Coast edition of the Light Round with That's why I take calls. course by partner. You're in the stock. tell you, bye bye bye, fellas. Look at another call. course? question at My staff, you're playing the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the Lightning Round, Cranes of Let's Start with. Sean in New Jersey. Sean. Hey, thank you, Jim. Hope you're doing well. Wanted to doing well. How
3: about off? you? Doing well. Thank you so much. Uh, wanted to ask you your thoughts on Snap's overall outlook and if you think they should focus their efforts on scaling the size of their user base or monetizing their existing user base right now.
0: Uh, they have to monetize existing user base, but I'll tell you something. Every stock that's being short is going up right now, so I figure Snap goes up about 10%, and then you got to sell. Wayne in New Hampshire. Wayne.
1: Hey, Jim, uh, Merck split this company off a couple of years ago, and it looks fairly cheap to me. I wanted to get
0: your thoughts on Organon, symbol O-G-N. It, it's cheap because there's no growth, and if there's no growth, then I don't want to be in it. And it's plain and simple. That's the way I have to look at it. Let's go to Christopher in Virginia. Christopher. <laughs> hey, Jim, first-time caller. Thank you for everything that you do. Alrighty, thank you. Thank you. This company increased their cash and has decreased their long-term debt to zero. It's going on for two years now and do not plan on issuing their dividends. Any thoughts on DQ? I'm not recommending any Chinese stock other than Alibaba, and even there, Baba reported a very weak quarter last week. I just thought his cloud division was worth something. I'm gonna to have to say no on that one. I'm sorry. Let's go to Daniel in Idaho. Daniel. Hey, Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you, Daniel?
2: Pretty good, thanks. Thank you for taking the time. I just wanted to get your thoughts on Trimble.
0: Look, okay, I have believed that I felt that both Trimble and Garmin were being hurt by Google, uh, but it turns out that Garmin came up with all sorts of new products, but Trimble has not. I'm going to say sell Trimble. Let's go to Thomas in Maryland. Thomas. Yes, I have three things for you. I think GoDaddy's stock, GoDaddy's site has been breached. I tried to get on my kid's pickleball site for three days, and I couldn't do it. They've been breached before. Number two, I think you should get the Nobel Prize for Economics. You're the greatest source for common knowledge, for stocks for the common man. Thank you. Number three, you. I am one of the best pickleball coaches in America. Instead of reading the stock price of every stock, you should take a pickleball lesson for me in Central Park. All that's- right. Well, that's an interesting, interesting concept. I'm not there yet, but my wife certainly is. Uh, I guess the question is about GoDaddy, and I'm not a fan. I just don't think it has, it's a very expensive stock. It offers very little as proprietary. Let's go to Carlos in Texas. Carlos. Hello, Kramer. Big booyah to you, sir. The company I'm calling about is a gaming platform that offers 3D, AR, VR, and Gen AI more recently. Down
1: 85% from its peak in November 2021. Can I start accumulating Unity software now? Stickers symbol? You. Yes,
0: I think this thing, John Riccatello is a smart guy. He's got a lot of proprietary technology. People just aren't being creative enough to use it. So I'm going to say buy that one. Let's go to Chuck in Pennsylvania. Chuck. Booyah, Jim. My question booyah. is, should I
3: cut my losses on funds?
0: I, I think plug Plugs are heavily shorted stocks. It's about 18% short. Therefore, it should be able to go up another 20% before you have to get rid of it. But I have to tell you, I've been sorely disappointed with that company. It was no longer just a, a company in the future. It was a company just doing badly. Bad companies have bad stocks, period. Naomi in California. Naomi.
2: Hello, Mr. Kramer.
1: I'm original New Jersey girl. All right. I have a question for you about Parker Hannison. Should
2: I buy that?
0: pull the trigger? Or well, look, the or... industrials are going down, but that had the best quarter of any industrial. I would tell you, if you own Parker up and stay long it, if it goes down over the debt dealings, uh, then I would be pressing the buy, buy, buy button if I had one. Nick in Nebraska. Nick! Yes, sir. God's country. How are we doing, Jim? Doing well. How about you? Doing good. Doing good. My question for you today is Boston and Omaha. I've looked at it. Out sand, a, it's house. a hodgepodge of pastiche of real estate. i got to stay away. There's just not enough there for me to want to pull the trigger. Jimmy in Ohio. Jimmy. A big Buckeye Booyah from Columbus, Kramer. And First why time, not? a long time and from one Jimmy C to another, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm my I'm
1: here pleasure. with Liam, the youngest investor in my house and he has a question for you. Is
2: the rally over or are the most gains at of FedEx?
0: No! Come on, Lee. Listen, FedEx, it's time to buy. I think the stock is cheap. I think going should have a great quarter. I want to own the stock of FedEx. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, has the FTC overstepped their mandate? What two big recent deals will reveal about the government's priorities? Next. tomorrow kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street live from Post 9 at the NYSE
0: I'll see you tomorrow morning in California we'll be face to face again quick break here don't go anywhere we'll collude
2: (laughs) it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern
1: I love you, man. I've been watching you from day
0: one. Thank you for all the wonderful advice that you provide us. I'm learning so much watching your show. Watch your program every day. I love it. I always wanted to say booyah on your show. Thank you for being the greatest in the world. We consider you the money market maker, and we thank you for all you do. I love your show. Laura long down to your show, and we think it's the most entertaining program on TV. About two deals today Chevron buying PDC Energy and Mizuho merging with Greenhill, a boutique investment bank. Both are simple, classic deals that could make shareholders a great deal of money. And you know what my first thought was? Get ready for the Federal Trade Commission to go all out to block both deals because they seem hostile to any mergers these days. I wish I could say that's an exaggeration, but the FTC has gone so overboard on antitrust that it's practically a rogue federal agency at this point. There was a time when our government was way too lax with this stuff. That's how so many airlines merged, turning the industry into an anti-consumer monster, where ticket prices are incredibly expensive on some routes. But now the pendulum has swung way too far in the other direction, in my opinion. Think about the FTC's most recent attempt to block a deal. Six days ago, they sued to block Amgen's $27.8 billion acquisition of Horizon Therapeutics, Linicon the chairperson. Chairperson says the deal stifles competition for two orphan drugs, one for a kind of gout and one for thyroid eye disease, because it might allow Amgen to get better rebates from the drug distributors. Is that sound logic, is Linacon protecting the drug distributors? By that thinking, the FTC could block any form of merger. I doubt it'll hold up in court, but the FTC's challenge could cause Amgen to walk away, simply because they don't want to deal with the hassle of fighting it out in court. I wouldn't be surprised if the FTC also goes after Pfizer's $43 billion attempt to buy Seagen, which has an excellent anti-cancer franchise, but lacks the heft to extend the science behind its research. Pfizer would give them that heft, which is obviously bad for their rivals, but good for those who have formerly incurable cancer. At the same time, the FTC is also suing to block the Internet, Intercontinental Exchange's acquisition of Black Knight for $13 billion, even though ICE has offered to sell the most problematic part, Black Knight's loan origination business that would allow them to create a dominant player in that key market. This is the latest in a long list of mergers that Lena Khan's FTC has tried to stop. It was against the Microsoft Activism Blizzard deal. It even tried to block meta platforms from buying a tiny virtual reality fitness play called Within. On the latter deal, a federal judge shot them down summarily, even as Khan tried to argue that Meta could make a similar product themselves, simply wants to dominate the VR industry. I don't even know what to say about that argument. It's like the FTC now treats all mergers as guilty till proven innocent. I'm not exaggerating. Leona Khan wrote an incendiary piece for the Harvard Law Review in 2017, where she argued that almost all mergers are inherently anti-competitive and benefit only the wealthy. In the end, I don't think Khan cares too much about the specifics. These actions are designed to chill any deal, any M&A activity at all, even if it's not the least bit any competitive. And honestly, you could argue some of these deals, like the two pronounced, that were announced today, they're pro-competitive. With Chevron's technology in deep pockets, the PDC energy deal could be positive for consumers, it might lower oil prices. Same for the Missouri Green Hill deal, as we need more strong competitors who can rival the big investment banks in the M&A advisory business. But I think the FTC is going to do everything in its power to stop anything. I'm just glad that the ultimate decisions here belong to the judicial system and not Lena Khan's Federal Trade Commission. To me, though, if you want to know why this market might have a hard time rallying from her, just think of how, many, how much money takeovers have made for investors. Imagine what happens when the FTC makes it far more difficult to, to seal the deal. Leah Khan is a valuation killer, plain and simple, and an anomaly who could easily be considered the most aggressive regular in the history of the FTC. I think she wants every merger stopped, something she can't do without the blessing of a judge. But at the very least, she can make the M&A process a lot more time-consuming and expensive, and in the end, frees it in its tracks if she wants to. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last Call starts now.